Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here for an hour of business, news, information, entertainment, and hopefully I'll be that little voice on sitting on your shoulder saying, hey, there's another way to look at this. That's sort of my, my main goal here talking with you. I'm glad you have time this afternoon to spend with me. It's a, another hot Chico summer day. Those are pretty nice when you're indoors. They aren't so nice when you have to be outdoors. I had a call today from a potential new client, and he works in the contracting business, and he had to be outdoors today, so that, that wasn't too great. And I believe the temperature's in the triple digits again, but that's part of being in the North Valley and being in Chico. I like to start the show with a quote that'll get you thinking, get you feeling good, at least get you, you know, it'll give you something to think about, something to ponder. And actually, I've got three good ones today. The first one isn't directly a business quote, but it sort of applies to everything and everybody. I really like this quote. It's actually, I'm not big on Hollywood. I'm not a worshiper of actors and actresses. This is actually from a man named Anthony Hopkins. I don't know much about him personally. I've seen a couple of his movies. He doesn't do anything for me as an actor because I don't care about those Hollywood things very much. But I found this quote by him and I liked it so much I thought I'd share it with you. And I do try to follow this one a lot. So let me give you this quote from Anthony Hopkins. My philosophy is, it's none of my business what people say of me and think of me. I am what I am, and I do what I do. I expect nothing and accept everything, and it makes life so much easier. I really like that. I read that, somewhere else I read that same saying, it's none of uh, what, and the, the way I read the saying was, what people think of you is none of your business. And that's the same way as what he says here. It's none of my business what people say of me and think of me. I really like that whole thing. It's a very good way to live. As I've told you before, I believe in making things easier. And the only way to make things easier is to think differently. The world is going to be the world. Things are going to happen it's how you react to those things that'll make you feel better. And the whole idea that it's none of your business what people think of you, that probably knocks 70% of your problems out of the water right there if you could follow that one. Now, the bi couple of good business quotes I've got, uh, one of them, I don't know who this person is. I didn't have time to research it. I found it on a, a quotable website place. His name's Al Lopez. I'm not sure if he's an entertainer or what. He could be a baseball player based on this quote, but it's under the business section, and I really liked it. So listen to this one. Do what you love to do and give it your very best, whether it's business or baseball or the theater or any field. If you don't love what you're doing and you can't give it your best, get out of it. Life is too short. You'll be an old man before you know it. Those sounds like good words of wisdom to me. I really like uh, the thought of that one because if you're at work and you really don't enjoy your work, you have to stay in that job 
to make your paycheck, but if you really dislike what you're doing, it really is worth trying to figure out a way to change what you're doing and at least work towards trying to get out of it and into something you love because if you're doing what you like to do, it's just, it makes it so much better. And anybody out there that's been doing what they really love and being able to be lucky enough to make a living at it understands what I'm saying. One quote that I remember about that topic is, it's only work if you'd rather be doing something else. If you go to work and you really enjoy what you're doing, then is it really work? So if you define work as uh, you know something that you don't want to be doing, then it's really helpful to try do your best to do what you like to do. And that even goes if you're retired, what do you like to do? And do what you love. That's really a good good advice. One more business quote, and this is from a man named Sam Walton, who I believe is might be the original founder of Walmart. I'm not sure. The Waltons are a huge billionaire family in Arkansas. That much I know. I don't have any opinions on them either. I don't know enough about them. I know they have a lot of money, and if that's your criteria, then they are wonderful people. But I try not to make that my criteria in any case. But I won't say he's good or bad, but he does have a good quote here. His quote is this, There is only one boss, the customer, and he can fire everybody in the company from the chairman on down simply by spending his money somewhere else. So that's a great quote. And anytime you're dealing with your own business, whether you're in a service business or a retail business, manufacturing, art, whatever you're doing, isn't that true? If the customer goes elsewhere, you're fired. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a Trump thing on the apprentice. You're fired. If the customer doesn't come back, you're fired. That's a very important part of anybody's business. Today I'm going to do my usual business expansion from the local to the global. I like to keep you informed and posted on all of those things. A local article that caught my attention, I thought it was very interesting. It's from the Chico News and Review, and it has to do with, and I'm trying to remember the name of this place. It's a, it's a, oh, it's called Chico Scrap Metal, and I believe they are forcing them to move. It's a group calling itself Move the Junkyard, began circulating a referendum petition in just a month, it gathered 9,200 signatures, but the conservative council majority, instead of rescinding the ordinance or putting it on an upcoming ballot as the petition required, chose to sue Move the Junkyard, claiming that the referendum was invalid for various technical reasons. So to make a long story short, it sounds like that uh, scrap metal junkyard, I believe that's the one on East 20th, uh, is going to have to move. The issue in this article that I wanted to mention, I mean, this is sort of a business thing. It's like clean up the neighborhood thing. I'm sure that business has been here a lot longer than a lot of the other uh, areas, but I know the residences near there are not new. They've been there a long time. So I'm not debating whether this is good, bad, correct, uh, right, or wrong. 
what the article points out is that one of the councilmen points out that this could be an issue with uh, just compensation. In other words, the Fifth Amendment in the Bill of Rights guarantees just compensation when the government takes something of yours. If the government is taking or the, the definition of a taking is declining your value of something, if the government is making this business move, then obviously they're taking because one of the tenets of law in the, in the world of real property is that law, uh, land is always, uh, land is always um, unique. So anytime someone makes you move, anytime someone makes you move, you're actually losing something because land is unique and you can't argue, well, the, the place across the street is better than this place, so we really didn't take anything from you. And the argument is, no, you took something from me because you made you made me move. I actually have a caller on the line. I'm going to see if he's got some questions or some commentary. Uh, we're going to join him right now. Hello, caller. This is Harold. Hey, Harold. It's Jim. Hey, Jim. This is Jim McCall, the uh, the contractor extraordinaire that's always too busy to see me. How you doing? <laughs> Oh, it's summertime. We're running like crazy. But I wanted to, to put a plug in for the junkyard because these guys were already forced to move there from another location. Oh, did they and used to be on park? building up homes around them. And, you know, the new tenants, or the new owners, I think it's Habitat for Humanity, most of them, they want them all to move. And this, this group is forcing them to stop the junkyard or whatever now is, is so unfair. And they're so ungreen. They are not ecologists. I'll tell you, the contractors use that place, and not only us, but uh, the auto repair guys, the body and fender guys, everybody drops metal in there. We drop old pipe. We drop any kind of sheet metal coming off roofs, not to mention, uh, you know, when we're installing appliances and uh, uh, refrigerators, things like that, we have boxes, uh, just truckloads of cardboard. And this takes thousands of tons of recyclable materials out of the waste stream without having to drive it all the way to Neal Road. So, so in other words, this is benefiting a lot of businesses, including the local ecology. The local economy, yeah, and Neal Road. Remember, Neal Road's going to close here within the next five years. It's just crazy, but they're going to close it, and it's going to get even worse. We're going to have to truck all this stuff out to Sacramento, and then they're going to send it to Reno. I mean, these these environmentalists are so whacked out. So their... do, you, do you know much about this Move the Junkyard group? I mean, you were saying they aren't really ecology-minded, but do, what do you think they are? Are they sort of working for the developers, oh, they're left, maybe? They're a leftist group, yeah. yeah. They, they want to force them out. And I think, uh, I, don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe Ken Grossman over there at uh, Sierra Nevada is behind this, too. I was he wants them out of there as I well. was thinking, yeah, because Sierra Nevada is like a worldwide phenomenon, but then you drive to it, it's like, oh, here's a junkyard. Oh, here's the brewery that I came 10,000 miles to see. Well, it's very industrial down there. I mean, if you go down, I live down in that area, so I mean, I go down 20th, oh gosh, a couple times a day. And you got you got you got fermentation tanks from Sierra Nevada on one side. You've got Whitmire body and fender shops on the other side. You've got a plumbing warehouse group operating out of there. It's real. It's it's not uh, you know your typical residential area. And, and that guy, the owner of the junkyard, would be glad to build a wall around the place. I mean, he 
he wants to improve the property, but if they're going to force him to move again, there's no point in spending any money on it. If they allowed him to stay there and all the other people who benefit from being able to drop uh, recyclable materials, I mean, look at all the uh, the homeless people and people saving recyclable materials. They're going to have to go somewhere else. I'm thinking what you mentioned about if Neil Road's gone and how soon might Neil Road be gone? I think within the next five years, they're going to close the darn thing. So is there an alternative locally, or you're saying things are going no, to have to be there trucked? Will no, be, there will be no alternative. They're going to do a transfer station there. So all the, all the materials now will have to be shipped out of... Uh, of Butte County, Butte basically. County. Yeah, yeah. They'll go, to, they'll go to Sacramento, and then they'll go on to either uh, San Francisco, where they, they bail them, or they... they uh, containerize the recyclable plastic and right. uh, cans and all that crap, and then they send it to friggin' China. I just don't get this, California. Right. California thinks they're so green, and they are so ungreen. It's so, just really crazy. So that's another thing that's going to eventually lead to higher prices. Of course, yeah. We, we pay uh, land landfill prices now as a surcharge of property owners. And then while all this closes, it's going to get really high because it's way more expensive to truck that stuff than it is to bury it out at Neal Road. Wow. Well, I'm really so. glad. I'm glad you had a chance to call because I didn't even know that much about this junkyard. I just saw this article and I was thinking, hmm. And is this? Did this one used to be down on Park, or was that a different one? I don't know where they were. But they before. they were already forced to move once, like what twenty years ago or something. Oh, yeah, it was a while back. And he has another facility out on Neal Road, but I'm telling you what's going to happen. The contractors like me are going to go, forget it. I'm not driving out to Neal Road. You're crazy. I'm putting in a debris box, and the whole thing is going to get mixed up, and it's going to be useless. That's the other thing. When you get this stuff all mixed up, you know, you've got metal and garbage and uh, yard waste. And when these Packer trucks get out to Neal Road, I don't know if you've ever been to the dump and watched those things unload. But they are all squished together. You've got to sort the stuff. I mean, it's just a mess. Right, right. And the so, more you can separate before it gets to the end shipping point, the better and the cleaner it gets. And China's China's starting to drop down on some of this recycling bit because they recycle for the for Europe as well. Well, the other and thing is, happening, if we keep doing these plus these tariffs, and if we do get into some kind of war with China, maybe they'll just say, "I'm not taking your junk anymore." Oh yeah, they'll or they'll say uh, you have to clean up the uh, quality of the recyclable materials to get there. Right now, there's some fraction of the material; it's like 0.01 percent that's contaminated, right? Right. And they're going to say, "Oh no, we we want 0.005 percent contamination." You're going to have to clean that up, and we're going to have to process this stuff anyway. I mean, why pay to ship it 4,000 miles across the Pacific? Uh, it just yeah, it yeah. just boggles the mind the, the wow. stupidity uh, of California in yeah. terms of its recycling well, programs. Yeah, and this... all these people that that are uh, recycling cans around, all these homeless people there, you know, they go by my house every day, and you can hear them clattering with the garbage bags full of cans, and they rely on this. Right, it's, and so without it, that, won't even be available here. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Hey, there are other break. places that take cans down the Fair Street, but they don't take metal. Like I wow. can't, I can't go into the Fair Street like recycling center. Great. Hey, we're, com- we're coming up on a break, Jim. Do you want to come back, or you want to say say goodbye? You know, hold me over. I have yeah, hang, point. hang on. We'll be right back. Acme Crane Entertainment reminds everyone that the blood you donate gives someone another chance at life, and that someone might be a close relative, a friend, a loved one, or even yourself. 
So give blood. Give the gift of life. This important reminder was sponsored by Acme Crane Entertainment in Oroville, serving the area with quality and integrity for many years. So go with a name you can trust and call Acme Crane Entertainment at 530-534-4830. They're on the air because they care. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. This book is either the Word of God or it's not, one way or another. The story's either true or it's not. The interesting thing is this Bible can be verified by extra-biblical history. This is the most accurate account of ancient history in the world, proven to be so by the facts, not by hearsay or myth or some preacher telling you. It's an amazing thing. David Hawking shares more on the amazing power and accuracy of God's Word this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, talking on the line with uh, Jim McCall. He's a contractor. And uh, Jim, go ahead and continue what you were just talking about with this junkyard thing. Well, they, I think that, you know, if Chico is really going to be ecologically minded, they ought to help that guy set himself up and make it a wall. Put a, put a concrete wall. Or, you, know, you could do tilt-up walls that are very soundproof. I mean, look at the freeway. Those things went up in a matter of a few weeks, and those are miles long. Right. Here we, have, here we have this little lot. You could easily build a wall around it. You could keep the noise down. You could make it only visible from a drone overhead, and everybody around there would be in way better shape. And I, don't tell me it's noisy, because 20th, 20th Street is a major thoroughfare, and the traffic goes through there all day long. Right. So there's, there's already noise. Right. Down there. Right. And those guys work during, they close at four o'clock, they open at eight, they have business hours. The evening is quiet. There's no smell. And that's another thing. See, these guys are lying about the amount of smell that comes out of it because there isn't any. They don't do any garbage. It doesn't smell. And they also, getting back to the metal, now they process the metal. Uh, it all goes to China too. Some goes to Korea from what I understand. But uh, we don't we don't make those decisions. There's brokers in San Francisco and other places, Oakland, who uh, process the uh, tonnage and send it to wherever the uh, smelters are. Wow! So if the United States was really inv- interested in being ecologically minded, we would not send a, a a bottle offshore. Everything would get processed here. It would be either reused or burned. Right. There's hey, Jim, no point in sending it to China. Jim, thanks a lot for the call. I've got another caller, but uh, thanks a lot for your input, and I'm glad you had uh, information for me that I wasn't aware of. All right. Talk to you. Thanks a lot. Hi, caller. This is Harold Littlejohn on Business Buzz. Hi, Harold. This is Tammy Ritter calling. How are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? Uh, real good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, well, I was I was listening 
get a very, very one-sided portrayal from your friend Jim, and I thought, well, there should be a little bit more information given about this situation. I, li- I like that idea. I'm, I'm, Like I say, I saw the story, and I really didn't have a lot of info, and Jim was the first guy to inform me with some knowledge of the place, so I'm really glad to hear from you, too. Tell me a little yeah, bit about so, what, what you know about that story. So, well, I know that the, that, um, that the scrap metal yard was moved many, many years ago, um, and at that time, it was in the county, right? And the city has kind of grown up around where, where Chico scrap metal is right now. There is absolutely no negative... Um, perception or, or ideas about the, the, the scrapyard. People believe it is a very vital service for our community, and the, the argument is that they've been given three extensions for three years each from, uh, from various councils, and the last, uh, the last time um, they were basically told they didn't have to move, Um, And that's when the referendum came about, is that the the citizens were asking that this neighborhood plan that was put in place in, I don't know if it was 2005 or 2006, the Chapman-Mulberry Neighborhood Plan, specifically states that activities such as this are incompatible uses. And um, I was directing Habitat for Humanity back at that time, and it was very clear from um, the neighborhood planning that this was not going to be an industry that was going to continue to be located on 20th Street. And yet all of these houses were built with this promise and this assurance, and then the scrapyard is still there. You know, it's within 500 feet of a school. There have been environmental tests that have shown there is leaching into the soil with heavy metals and that there has been airborne, and there's a number of lawsuits. You can see on Butte County Superior Court page referencing um, the, the owner being out of compliance. Oh, that's... Uh, that's... So it's the state board on, I don't know, toxic materials or something. Right. And so, so there's, there's, you know, the Scott saying, nope, nope, we cleaned it up, it's all good. Um, independent testing has shown that's not true, that it, there are still... Um, heavy metals in the soil, and and that is concerning, especially when you consider that this is probably our most marginalized um, community and school in in all of Chico. And I just can't imagine that if there were a heavy metal recycling location located next to Parkview Elementary or Sierra View, that this wouldn't be a done deal, right? The city would have found a place to help them relocate to years ago. Right. I, I, I sort of see that argument for sure. Now, what, what's the status? Yeah, what's the, the, other the, st- the folks in Chapman, they don't even get to vote for city council, right? So they have had zero voice in this history now, that now, is in what, their community because the st- they are an island community. Right. Now, part of this article just mentioned, I believe it was uh, Mr. Sorensen mentioned about the takings and stuff. Is right. there is there financial help for this scrap guy if he wants to move it? I mean, what's happening monetarily for him? Well, certainly I feel there should be. There certainly should be um, some compensation. And there was an amortization schedule that was put in place. Now, my understanding is that because that schedule was developed so long ago, it's not even, 
valid anymore. It, it doesn't, it does not take into account the cost of land prices today. And so, you know, my, my personal opinion is that had Chico Scrap moved the first time that they were told had to move and not had three extensions leading to, you know, a decade, this would have been a much more workable process. Right. right? When we said this is an incompatible use, we, we don't want this on this corridor that is directly, you know, and I used to live at 869-19. Okay, I think we might have lost. Oh, are you there, Tammy? Oh, yep, I'm still here. Oh, great, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's so, fine. So basically, it's just an incompatible use. And had this relocated 10 years ago, when land was more available and not as expensive, we would not be dealing with this today. Right. Now, there there would be... What's the planned... I mean, I like I say, I'm, I'm, I apologize that I'm not really up to speed on this whole story, but what is the usage planned for that location if the scrap metal moves uh, after I a cleanup or whatever? I don't know there is a particular use that's determined. Okay. Meaning right. I don't know what entity would go into there. Right, because as long as the cleanup was not too big of a deal, I'm sure that's that would be valuable land also that maybe, yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but it's interesting to know all the different uh, sides to this thing that I just wasn't all, I mean, I could guess they, I was aware of this, but I didn't really know, so. Right, and I don't know that there is any plan. Um, Jim, your caller suggested that that uh, Ken Grossman was behind this. I, I don't know that that is true, and I don't think that that's a fair assertion to make. Um, I haven't seen Sierra Nevada involved with this process. Um, you know, what I do know is that it was concerned citizens who circulated the petition, and they gathered 9,200 signatures. It only needed 5,000 to qualify. Well, I, I did... I did I'm interested in the part you mentioned a few minutes ago. The housing that's gone up near there, mm-hmm. part that was since the time this thing was planned on needing to be moved, and everybody knew it would be. Is that absolutely what you, okay? Absolutely, right. that was the plan. And there, the the Chapman Mulberry neighborhood developed what they called a neighborhood plan, and that was back when Jane Dolan was in the uh, supervisor's seat, and it was. To, it was to, just like the city of Chico's 2030 general plan. It was to talk about the way in which the community will grow, right? And we have had didn't really have a sense until probably about 2013 or 2014 at what point Chapman was going to be annexed into the city. There is now a plan that Chapman will be annexed in within the next three to five years. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't even aware that there was that much space not annexed out there, but I just wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah, there's a large part of Chapman that is that is not part of the city. I feel that so way, they too. I have rights to vote. My, my office is in Chico, but I actually live in a place that's not annexed, and it really is frustrating to never be able to, um, you know, vote. Uh, do you want to hang on Absolutely. and talk a little more, or do you need to go? No, I'm fine if you want to... Yeah, hang, hang on. We'll be, we'll be right back. How are you going to get to the Sacramento airport? 
Use North Valley Shuttle. It's easy online at NorthValleyShuttle.com. Don't be that person who bugs their friends or family to take you. Book online right now at NorthValleyShuttle.com. North Valley Shuttle has added new departure and arrival times each week for your convenience. Serving Chico, Paradise, Oroville, Gridley, Live Oak, and Yuba City, Marysville. North Valley Shuttle gets you there quickly and safely. Leave the car at home and let NorthValleyShuttle.com do the driving. License PSC 20791. Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jamming for Jesus, a Christian jam night, Saturday 5 to 8 p.m. Rock House is located only two miles past the hardware store in Yankee Hill on Highway 70. Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barbershop, a gas station, and a cafe. Serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rock House is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso. That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I have a caller, uh, Tammy Ritter. Uh, can I talk a little bit about what you're up to lately right now? Sure. Are you a, You're a supervisor <laughs> candidate, is that right? I am uh, the supervisor-elect for District 3. Right. And uh, did that election just occur? Yeah, it happened on June 5th. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just not up to date on which ones are primaries and which ones aren't because... <laughs> Like I say, I don't get to vote for Chico City Council, so I step aside quite a bit. I, I got to admit yeah. that. But uh, so, uh, how how are things going countywise? Um, other than this junkyard thing, of course. Well, one of the things that um that your uh, that Jim mentioned that I thought was really important is you know he was talking about the Neal Road landfill, and you know there are um you know that is something that the county is always looking at is you know. <laughs> We have to look at space, right? Because because our um, our resources in terms of taking in waste are not infinite. We have to make sure that that's managed well. Um, but one of the comments that Jim made was about how contractors, you know, aren't going to want to drive their stuff to the landfill. And I think that that is. I mean, I think he said it best. It's not a matter of we don't have the ability to recycle them. It's whether or not. People are going to use the resources that are there, and if um, and if contractors decide to make the choice to not be ecological about something and to just throw recyclable materials into a yard bin, as he was suggesting, 
Um, I don't think that that is on the city, and I don't think that that's on the county. It's certainly not a good idea. It's going to fill up our landfill faster. Right. Now, um, now, what's the the Neil Road thing? Uh, he brought that up, and I really wasn't aware of all that. It's going to be closed? Is that what he's saying? I, well, I haven't. I have not heard a plan that it's going to be closed within five years. So if that is if that's accurate information, that is that is new to me. Yeah, because um, I mean, if that's the case, so then I know that there are certain aspects of the of the landfill that um, that we do ship elsewhere. For example, in the last couple of months, the board of supervisors made the decision that solid waste, things from septic tanks and uh, and, you know, Johnny on the spot kind of thing, that is now being transferred to a facility that I believe is near outside Lincoln. Um, and that's because we don't have the capacity for it at Neal Road. Right. And and so, so those are decisions that I have seen made. I have not heard that the Neal Road landfill will be closed within five years. If, if that's the case... Um, I can't imagine that a new plan would not have already been in place because five years is a very short period of time when you're talking about government. Right, and especially something as big as landfill and how to find the spot, and that, that would be a giant job. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so I'm not saying that there aren't issues in terms of space and things of that nature, but I have not heard what, what Jim was saying, that, that it's going to be closed in five years and we're going to be shipping all of our stuff to Sacramento. So well, I, that that piece I can't comment on. I haven't heard anything of that nature. That's that's uh, that's really uh, it's interesting because I'm now I'm now it's got me curious. But I you know I deal with a lot of contractors just because I I'm in that tax business. But myself, I don't use those facilities, so I really don't know what's going on with that. So, but right. what what else is going on county wise that might interest the listeners today? Well, there's. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, what, whatever's going on with you guys of, is important. Now, always of interest to the to the. I think all of the voting public is um, is what's going to be happening with you know cannabis policy because that's something that affects us in the city as well as in the county. So I think that that's a really big issue. I think that the the issues with DWR um, continue to be a big issue. Um, so that's something that I think. Um, you know, we're going to continue to see a lot of attention focused on. Now, can you uh, elaborate what that stands for, just for everybody's knowledge? Oh, I'm sorry. The Department of Water Resources. Oh, so right. They're the entity that is that ultimately responsible for um, the, the issues we had with the Orville Dam um, and, you know, the, the contracts between the county and CWR, um, you know, as we move forward. You right. Know, there's re- relicensing was on the table and... Um, and I and I know that there's um, there's definitely some concerns on the county level with moving forward with relicensing before the issues related to the dam are resolved. Right. Well, that, it's interesting to bring up the water and the dam because one of the things I was going to talk about today was it looks like the state I don't know if it was the state supreme court or a state court has gotten rid of the divide the state into three referendum. Did you hear that? I saw something about that this morning online. Yeah, and I, I haven't really read it in full, but it was a pretty short article I read, and it just said, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court on Wednesday sided with an environmental group. Uh, so anyway, that's off the ballot yep. for now. I don't know if that was a concern for everybody, but I would imagine anybody dealing with water issues would have had a major problem if that whole state thing was going through the the, the grinder, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I, I personally believe that the number one issue we are going to be dealing with as a community and, and in the North State in general is going to be around water issues because, um, because it is the resource that we have that everyone else in the state wants. And um, so I don't like looking at our, um, at our water as a resource or a commodity, but the, the truth is, is that that is, that is going to be the biggest industry is, um, is the way that water is regulated. And so I think that that is going to become the most critically important issue um, facing Butte County. Now, what's your what's your feeling since you're you're in the politics and now you were a uh, city council person for quite a while, right? Uh, for four years, yeah, oh. for one term. Okay, and then how long have you been the supervisor? So I am the supervisor elect, which means I will be sworn into office in January. Oh, I am okay. I am just waiting to take my seat. <laughs> oh, okay. And what's the ter- what's the term of your supervisor term coming up? It's a four year term as well. Oh, okay. I was just curious, what's the what's the local political feeling of, for instance, the uh, U.S. Congress vote coming up with LaMalfa and possibly Denny? Uh, is there any thoughts on that in your at your um, office or anything? Well, I certainly I certainly can't speak for anyone with the exception of myself. Um, right, right. <laughs> on that issue, and um, and I I am strongly um, behind Audrey Denny simply. Um, because she is a very accessible um, candidate. I have um, spoken to her and met with her um, talking about ag issues and speaking about water issues. And um, I know that every time I have called or attempted to um, meet with LaMalfa, I'm given um, contact information for his aid. And um, I participated in the town halls that he's done. I participated in the last one that he did at Manzanita Place. Oh yeah, I heard that. He, that one. Oh, that one yeah, went. That one mocked. went. That went real well, didn't it? Oh, he he outright mocked people, <laughs> and it I, was I read about it. Yeah. So concerning to me that someone who was elected to represent people would behave in that way. That is, um, that that's just appalling to me. I don't have to agree with someone's politics. Um, I don't have to be have the same political orientation. That's that's not important. What is important is that we can hear each other, we can listen to concerns, and for me, I want to know that my representatives hear me. And it's equally important that I feel that I am hearing the people who I represent. So, um, you know, he, Doug LaMalfa unfortunately represents me as much as he represents somebody, you know, who does share his ideology, but I don't feel that he hears my concerns. Yeah, well, weren't there a lot more town hall type things with Wally Herger? I mean, that's not very many for LaMalfa, is it? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I've only been to a couple of LaMalfas, um, and I honestly, I only, um, I don't think I participated in any um, with Herger at that time. No, I was Um, just, I was just thinking about the fact that I haven't heard of one since that one that was at Manzanita Place, and it seems like that yeah. was about a year ago now, but I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think it was about that long ago. So what what is cooking on the uh, cannabis area for Chico and for Butte County right now that you know of? I mean, is there any major proposals going on? Well, there is with Oroville, and I think that um, I think that, you know um, I think it's you know probably the council 
candidates are probably sitting back and going, all right, let's see what happens over here with Oroville. Um, because just as there are many people who are pushing for policy, there are those that are saying, no, we don't want any policy. Um, my position is that this is something that's legal in the state, and we either are going, just like with water, with our Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, we either come up with local policy and we come up with a local plan, or the state's in control. And what I would like to see is the state has already developed policy in all of the areas of cannabis regulation. If we adopt policies, we can adopt policies that are more stringent than the state of California. And to me, that seems like a response responsible approach. If, you know, down the road we say, okay, we can loosen up on this area, fine. But for the time being, let's adopt responsible policy, make it even more stringent in our jurisdictions, and then as we see how they work, then we could loosen up a little bit or pull back the reins. But but to start out, I think it's, um, I just don't think it's going to benefit our county to not have policy in place that um, that allows for the activities that are legal according to the state of California. Right. And yeah, well, the, the whole topic is so messy because of the federal California differences. And Absolutely. It, keeps me yeah. fr- it keeps me from taking on any clients involved in it because I don't, I'm too old to learn a whole new field, you know? Right. Sure. <laughs> and then, and then there's those issues as well of that, you know, with it unregulated, you know, but it being legal in the state, you know, they can't use typical financing options. No, it's really crazy. Right? And the, the real weird thing is they've, they, the IRS still holds the position that they can only deduct the cost of the marijuana itself. They still can't legally deduct their overhead for federal tax purposes. It's, it's insane. Right. And so think about that if you were, I mean, because you, you work as a CPA, but think about that. If we were saying that to other small business developers, they'd have to triple their price. Owners, they'd have to triple their prices exactly. on everything just to stay in business. Right, and still they likely wouldn't because if you look at the taxes, right, fifteen percent uh, excise tax, and you know, there's. It's, we're it's coming up on a break, Tammy. Do you, do you have a few more minutes, or do you need to go? I don't. I'm going to pick up my kids from school, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was great to talk to you, Howard. All right, Thank nice you. to talk to you, and talk to you next time. Thanks. We'll be right back on okay. Business Buzz. Thanks, Tammy. Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Well, where do you read his commandments? But in the Gospels. Now, I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one Gospel and the next, which is why I wrote the Merged Gospels. It's where all four Gospels are literally translated from the Greek, broken down word by word, and merged back together into one beautiful chronological story with not one word of scripture removed. You can't buy it in stores. It's available only online at mergedgospels.com. It's great for new believers, for personal devotions, and for group studies. 
there's also an audiobook. And as always, you get to name the price. Just go to mergedgospels.com. Hello, it's me, the designer jeans in the back of your closet. What happened to us? I used to summer in the Hamptons, and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Okay, maybe I never really fit you right, but I got a lot more Sunday fun days left in me. So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you're able to spend a little time with me today. I want to thank those people who called in. It's got me on a new topic. I want to find out a lot more about this scrap metal issue. I want to learn more about the county's issue with this landfill thing because that, to me, is that's a pretty big deal. If uh, if the landfill's going away and uh, they don't like that, uh, Ms. Ritter was saying there's they probably have a uh, something in place, but. Uh, She's not the supervisor yet, so I won't hold her to uh, having that knowledge on hand, which is fine, but it's very interesting. I have an article that I figure I'll close out the show with. I hate to be the negative Nelly, what do they call it, the naysayer, but like I say, I am your second opinion person. I'm the, I'm the little devil guy on the other shoulder saying, hey, wait a second, maybe that's not the case. The article I'm about to share with you is titled Housing Market Collapse 2.0 Has Has Begun. And as usual, I got this from, it's through the place that I look at for most of my daily news called ZeroHedge.com. It's sort of an alternative, mainly financial news, but it's got a lot of good political news and things like that. So I use it every day. I use it a lot more than I use CNN, Fox, or NBC, ABC, CBS, if you catch my drift. I'm going to just kind of read some of this and just talk to you about the entire real estate world because the real estate world is such a big part of our lives here in Chico business-wise. Think about all the different businesses that play a part regarding real estate. I have a lot of clients who directly work with real estate. And then we have things like Lowe's and Home Depot, where that's all directly related to the whole same thing, and suppliers and uh, Jim McCall, uh, the the contractor who called in earlier. It's all related to, a lot of it's related to real estate, so this is very important information. A summer storm is gathering against the housing market all across the U.S. More than a year ago, I, and this guy's name is David Haggath on the Great Recession blog. He says, more than a year ago, I predicted the collapse of housing bubble 2.0 and then predicted as soon as the housing market collapse had begun that it would see temporary reprie- reprieve until the summer of 2018. Well, that reprieve has ended. Two months ahead of the schedule, I suggested as an outlier. The storm clouds are now evident across the entire nation. More importantly, lightning is already striking in the nation's healthiest housing market. New home construction starts are down 12.3% nationwide 
to a nine-month low due to the largest single-month drop in more than a year and a half. That is a huge sign of a nationwide housing market collapse when you consider that this is the time of year when housing is usually on a tear because weather allows construction everywhere. Instead, construction in the U.S. is down, way down, everywhere. While that nine-month period back to the last low in construction was merely propped up by hurricane and wildfire rebuilds, as I said it would be, we've already hit the point where those necessary rebuilds still happening are not strong enough to overcome the more general housing decline that is overtaking the nation and many other nations. Significant to that point, housing starts fell in all regions of the country. Both single-family and multifamily housing construction are losing momentum. As an even clearer sign of where we are headed in the near future, housing construction permits are also down for the third count, third month in a row. So the decline in permits is now a trend. While single-family permits saw a small gain of 0.8% in June, multifamily permits dropped 7.6%. June had been expected by economists to bring a rebound that didn't materialize, setting a new trend firmly in place. Mortgage applications also fell nationwide this week. Fewer new homes being built will likely translate into shrinking inventory of new homes on the market in the months ahead. This broad-based decline comes in spite of the fact that everyone across the nation has been saying for over a year that inventory of homes on the market is skinny at best. So it is skinny and now declining rapidly in health at a time when you would expect new construction to pick up in order to fill out the historically thin inventory of homes on the market. Why is that not happening? Even more important in terms of seeing where we are on the curve of the housing bubble wave, real estate sales in some of the most robust markets, such as Seattle, have actually started to see decline. Seattle was one of the slowest areas to decline during the last housing market collapse, one of the areas that fell the least during the collapse, and was one of the areas that was first to recover. So if real estate sales in Seattle are declining, during Seattle's only good months of weather, what does that say as a bellwether for the rest of the nation? And I'm just going to read a little bit more of this article. Home buyers around many parts of Washington state have had more choices and less competition during June, prompting some industry leaders to comment on a feeling of change in the market. Inventory is up and demand has dropped, reported Robert Wasser, an officer with the Board of Directors at Northwest Multiple Listing Service. That combination is a pretty simple economic recipe for a softening market. Figures for June show a 5.2% improvement in the number of active listings system-wide, coupled with drops in the volume of pending sales down 8.4% and closed sales down 0.07% compared with a year ago. There was a feeling of change in the market this June, and the numbers supported that feeling. Sellers are becoming more active in the market as they sense buyers pulling back. Improving supply, a market increase in expired or canceled listings, and market times almost doubling are factors he mentioned when describing the market as more than just lackluster, with summer showing no sign of improvement. So what this article is basically saying that uh, 
in the market of Seattle, which is probably the healthiest, like it was saying, since the last collapse of 07, 08, Seattle didn't collapse as much and rebounded faster. So it's one of the stronger areas. And what this article is saying is, whoops, if that's the case in Seattle, what does that say for the rest of the country? Just like in 07, you have the what I call the talking heads on CNN and MSNBC and CNBC always saying everything's fine, everything's great. There are some records, and I would have to go back and research this. I don't have it printed today to talk to you about the details. There's a lot of records of people like Jim Cramer, the guy who does Mad Money on CNBC, saying things like, oh, everything's fine about, uh, you know, two weeks before the Lehman Brothers incident in 08. I believe the chairman of the Federal Reserve spoke a week or two before that incident, which basically sparked the $12 trillion bank bailout in September, October of 2008. And I believe just a week or two prior to that incident of complete, they call it like frozen credit, and the whole system was going to stop they threatened Congress with disaster if they didn't approve this trillions and trillions of dollars bailout. But my point of that is that I believe with about a week or two to go before the Lehman Brothers collapse, which was the trigger for all this bailout and money printing that we've had for the last 10 years, right up till the end, the talking heads were saying everything's fine. There's no problem. That's how these things work. You and I are the, there's a song I can't remember who does it, but there's a song called The Last to Know. And you and I are the last to know when something's going to happen like that. That's why it's good to read articles like that one I just read part of to you about the real estate market. Real estate professionals in one of the better markets in the whole country are seeing that this summer is not turning out like it should be in a healthy real estate market. Which leads me to my next article. I've only got probably uh, five or four or five minutes left today. So I wanted to get to this one also. The title of this article is, If Everything's So Awesome, Why Are Investors Paying So Much for Crash Protection? So what it is is that the rich guys buy insurance against a market crash. If you're a guy managing $100 billion of shares of stock in a big mutual fund or like Fidelity Investments, the kind of place that you may have investments in, in your savings account, investment account, your IRA, your retirement plan. These guys don't go naked into these markets. In other words, they are not exposed to a fully declining market like they know is coming. They buy what's called crash protection. So I'm going to read you a little bit of this. And like, like I say, you and I are the last to know when bad things happen, tech, tech stocks soaring to record highs and a slump in volatility suggest investors are brushing aside market risks, trade war concerns, and central bank tightening. Now, central bank tightening is supposedly the lack of buying that the central banks are doing to keep our system propped up. I believe that our U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, is acting like they aren't doing it, but with the other hand, the other central banks around the world are. And that's my theory. 
Uh, you can argue with me about it, but I'm sticking to it. However, as Bloomberg notes, there is at least one gauge of investor sentiment that hints at a growing concern. The CBOE, which is the Co- Chicago Board of Exchange, skew index, which tracks the cost of tail risk equity protection, has jumped to the highest level since October. The rise signals options traders are growing wary of wild swings, just as the International Monetary Fund warned financial markets seem complacent to mounting risks in the global economy. General, generally, a rise in skew indicates that crash protection is in demand among institutional investors. Institutional professional investors are the biggest traders in stock market options. But an unusual move in the skew index is especially interesting when it diverges strongly from the VIX, which VIX is the volatility index, which measures uh, basically what the low VIX, high skew combination is saying is the market overall is complacent, but big investors perceive far more risk than usually. So what this thing is saying is that the big boys, the ones who are maybe managing some of your money in an indirect way, you've, you'll never meet these people, but they could be the fund manager of some giant fund from a place like Fidelity or something like that. They are pumping up the cost of this equity protection that they buy. Think of it this way. If they're controlling $10 billion of money, which is OPM, other people's money, like yours and mine, if we have a mutual fund, if they're controlling $10 billion of money and the stock market crashes 50%, like it did in 09, I believe, that $10 billion would turn into $5 billion. It won't turn into $5 billion for most of these large funds because they buy this equity protection. They buy options on the stock market so that if the value of their shares go down, the value of these options go up so fast and so high that they offset their losses. I'm not sure these options would ever... They wouldn't probably buy enough options to offset all of their losses, but they would buy the options to where it totally offsets their losses in a big, big way. The problem is you and I don't have that advantage. Now, maybe the mutual fund these guys are running, if the stocks in the mutual fund decline 50%, like they did in 09 and like they did in 2000, and remember they went down 90% in 1929, that's what I was telling you about on a previous show, these guys hedge the bets by buying these options so that they don't lose as much, but they're still going to lose a lot of money. So in a way, you're hedged if your managers are buying these. But the point of this article is the price of this would not be going up if the insiders, and I call them insiders, they're the experts who work 24-7 full-time on watching the markets. If they are bidding up the price of these protection options, what does that tell us? And the article is saying it tells us that the professionals are a little bit concerned about this market. So we're coming up on the end of the show. It's been another very nice day for me. I hope you've enjoyed the last hour. 
spending it here with me on Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll look forward to the next time. Listen to Business Buzz every day at 3 o'clock. I'll talk to you soon. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. The director of national intelligence says he has no idea what was discussed when President Trump met alone with Russia's Vladimir Putin at the Helsinki summit. DNI director Dan Coates wishes the two leaders had not met alone and says he would have suggested a different way. He told NBC's Andrea Mitchell at the Aspen Security Forum that he was unaware of President Trump's invitation this week to Putin to visit Washington, D.C. this fall, but that his office would brief Mr. Trump on the intelligence risks of having Putin in the country. And Coates said he would recommend they not meet alone. Greg Clugston, the White House. A coroner has opened an inquest into the poisoning death of a British woman who was exposed to the nerve agent Novichok. Senior coroner David Ridley said the cause of Dawn Sturgis's death won't be given until further tests are completed. He then adjourned the proceedings until January. Sturgis and partner Charlie Rowley were sickened on June 30 in Amesbury, southwestern England, near where a Russian ex-spy and his daughter were poisoned with a deadly nerve agent in March.